0: And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning again. I just said that. I normally don't do the welcome and the sermon, so I apologize. I got out of my rhythm. Uh, thank you. Whoever just said good morning, I appreciate that affirmation for me. Um, if you guys have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, We're going to land there in just a minute. You can turn there in a Bible. You can turn your phone on, whatever it is you want to do. We're going to get there in just a little bit. Uh, But before we get there, um, I just want to uh, welcome you more uh, officially, I guess. We are kicking off a new series this week uh, that I'm really excited about, that we as a church are really excited about. Um, But before we get there, uh, I want to specifically welcome uh, any college students who are back. Do we have any college students here? Yeah. That's awesome. If you cheered and you're not a college student, I'm glad that you support college students. Um, that's important, I guess. Uh, but we are super excited to have you guys back. I know some of you have stuck around this summer, which is really cool. Um, but we, we probably have about 100 to 150 college students who make up a part of our church. Um, So during the summer, uh, it feels like we feel that you guys are not here. Uh, So we are super pumped that you're back. We are really glad that you are here. And maybe you're just joining us for the first time. You just got to campus. Uh, You just moved in. Whatever it is you wanted to show up this morning, we love that you are here. And we love that we get to hang out with you guys. Um, So we say this a lot, but Knoxville just isn't the same without you guys. Uh, traffic is so much better, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I can drive down Cumberland and back in less than an hour, and it's fantastic. Um, but we do miss you, nonetheless. I just will never set foot on Cumberland while you guys are here. Uh, just just kidding. But we're so glad that you're here. Um, so, one of the reasons that we wanted to be here in Knoxville when we started a church uh, is, is because for a lot of us who helped get City Church started a few years back, being a part of a church like this one while we were in college was deeply formative uh, for us as, as a staff. For me personally, I know, uh, I, I know that some people came to know the Lord through a church like this. In college, for me, uh, a lot of my journey in life was shaped by a church that I was a part of who intentionally planted near a college campus so that I could be a part of what they were doing. Um, I would not be here. I would not be in ministry at all, probably, if it weren't for that church. So I'm very thankful to get to be a part of this church that is doing uh, something similar. So all to say, if, you've, if you're a student, you've been gone for the summer, or you're just checking out things for the first time, we are super excited that you're here. Um, also, if you're not a student... We are always glad that you are here. Thank you so much for, for being a part of what we're doing. Um, and, and if you're joining us today for the first time, uh, I think it's a really good Sunday to do that for, for two reasons specifically. Uh, one, today actually marks our five-year birthday as a church, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have been doing this every week, more or less, barring extenuating circumstances, Uh, We have been doing this since August of 2017, Um, which is so crazy to me. Like, it feels like it has both been happening forever and also that it can't possibly have been five years already. Um, But, you know, throw a couple COVID years in and it's like, it's a lifetime, right? And no, time time is... not real, uh, is what it feels like. But we're going to celebrate a little bit this morning. You may have seen like some balloons, a little backdrop out in the lobby. You can take photos out there if you want to. Um, We are also going to have cupcakes after this. Yeah, so if you leave with nothing today and you're like, that was terrible, at least you get a cupcake, right? (laughs) Come on. What's wrong with that? Everybody loves a cupcake. Not everybody, but you can at least take one. Uh, But another reason it's good that you join us is what I mentioned just a second ago. We are kicking off a new series today, uh, and it is all about church, just church in general, and it's called Church Matters. We're going to be talking a lot about what the church is, why it's important, and then we're going to be talking uh, a lot about some of the specific things that the church does when it is gathered together and and why that stuff is important. Um, Maybe. You hear that, and that kind of seems a little flat to you, right? You might be thinking, like, oh, it's, a, it's the fall. Like, kick off your big, exciting series with, like, do a series on, like, relationships or, or sex or, like, how to be an awesome person. Or, like, something based on the new Beyonce song. It's been at the top of the charts for, like, eight weeks. It's great. Um, it's a good song if you haven't listened to it. But we're not going to do a series on it. That may sound more exciting to you. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but we think that a series on church and why church matters is really important and really timely um, and really necessary. And here's why. I, I think lately, not just I think, uh, lately more and more people are asking the question just why, right? Why or even if they should be a part of a church. People, people that don't follow Jesus, I would say pretty obviously have always asked that question. Uh, the things that we do, especially here on Sunday, uh, can be, can be kind of weird, honestly. Like if you just think of it objectively, if we don't have a reason to be doing what we're doing, it's kind of odd, uh, and especially if you didn't grow up doing it. But, but more and more, it seems like a lot of people who, who have been a part of the church for a long time or people who are self-proclaimed Christians are asking the question, why do I need church? Why bother? Right? And, and it seems like... A lot of people, an increasing number of people, are concluding that they don't. They just don't, right? And, and I think people arrive at, those, at that conclusion specifically for a few different reasons. I think for some people, we kind of have the, the mindset of like, why not just find it online, right? For a while now, especially since COVID started, you can find world-class sermons and, and brilliantly produced worship music all online, you can find full-length church services online, cameras panning back and forth, everything in brilliant 4K, not ours if you've seen it, <laughs> uh, but you can find that somewhere. Uh, you can do all of that without ever leaving your couch or bed, you know, no, take your pick. Why on earth would I go through the effort of getting up and putting on pants and leaving the house when I could just do this at home? Why would I go in person? Right? Other people just don't see the point of church in general or attending a church. Right? They don't find it relevant. Maybe, maybe they were a part of a church before at some point in their lives. And, and it mostly just felt like they were, they were giving up like an hour or so of their weekend uh, for something that didn't really add all that much value to their life. Right? It, it, people are saying things like, you know, I'm not, I'm not religious, I'm, I'm just spiritual. Right? I, I'm a fan of Jesus, I'm just not organized religion, right? I love Jesus, not the church. Other people, I would say, uh, have witnessed just too much hypocrisy from the church or from people in the church to want to be a part of it. I mean, you can look at any news outlet, any social media, even secular ones across the board, and it does not take long to be bombarded with some story about church, or church people, church leaders, doing something that shows that they are not who they claim to be. And then for others still, I think the reason comes down to um, hurt that they may have experienced. Church hurt may be involved in some way. Something went down in the past that just especially soured their view of church. And they're really hesitant to give it another try. But for one reason or another, and it may be another one that I haven't listed out, a lot of people just aren't too keen, I think, in taking time out of their week to be connected to the church. So before we do a whole series talking about why church matters, uh, we, I think, first need to answer the question, does it? Right? Does it even matter? Is there value in, t- in the 21st century in doing things like showing up weekly or more often than that and be physically present with other followers of Jesus? Is there value in that? And even if you're somebody who is already convinced that there is value in that, you're like, yeah, absolutely, I'm here, aren't I? Uh, if I were you, I wouldn't just breeze past that question. Don't, don't just overlook it, like it, it is, like it doesn't matter. I think even those of us who find tremendous value in the church, we, we can still use some reminders of how and why it is valuable. right? If for no other reason so that we can articulate that well to others who don't think that way. Right? If we're going to be able to convince our, our non-Christian neighbors and coworkers and friends and classmates that, that the church is a worthwhile endeavor, it sure would help if we could explain why that's the case, right? But I think it's also really important just on an individual personal level too, right? Nearly all studies that, that, uh, studies that are based on this, at least, all studies out there show that regular church attendance and involvement took a major hit during COVID, took a major hit. And barring all quarantine guidelines, all of that aside, I would be willing to bet that the reason a lot of people stopped doing church in, in whatever capacity that is had at least something to do with them not fully understanding why they were doing it in the first place, right? They just didn't Understand whether, whether that was a conscious thing or not. It was just, just gave people pause and made them ask the question, why, why do I do that? I think it's kind of like this as uh, an example that, that it reminded me of. My drive from my house to here, uh, to work, this is where I work all through the week, not just on Sundays, is about 15 minutes. Um, it's very straightforward. I take a couple turns, I hop on the interstate, exit, I'm here. Um, I've been doing that pretty often, like five or six times a week for a while. Like It's several years that I've been doing that drive. And because of that, uh, there are times that I know I got into my car. Like I remember that. And then I'm in the parking lot here. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> how did I get here? Right? It's like, did I cause any accidents? Like, did I run every single red light? Because I have no memory of stopping at any. So I hope they were all green, uh, because I definitely didn't stop. I've had people say that they were riding beside me, like waving, trying to get my attention, caught me picking my nose and everything. No recognition that they were even there. Just complete autopilot. Not, not like real like Tesla autopilot, Right? I drive a 05 F-150. It's basically the same as a Tesla. Um, it's got autopilot just like that, it turns out. Um, but I think it's really, really easy, uh, especially if you've been around church for a long time, uh, to go into autopilot mode like this when it comes to going to church or attending church or being involved in church. Right? We just go through the motions week after week without fully reflecting on why. Why does what we are doing matter? And my concern is if, if we never take the time to intentionally think about why it matters, it's only a matter of time until we functionally decide that it just doesn't, right? Not that you would necessarily say outright, church doesn't matter, right? But sometimes our actions can speak pretty loudly, right? And sometimes all it takes is the right combination of circumstances, right? Life gets busy, School or work picks up a little bit. You have a kid. It's summer, and the lake and Dollywood are just calling your name. Right? You start dating somebody who would just prefer to go on long weekend trips. And all of a sudden, you start thinking, you know, why do I do that thing on weekends, on Sundays? Right? Right? And so part of what I want to do, what I want us to do in this series, is see it, is if we, can, if we can take the car off autopilot, so to speak, right, and ask the question, why? Why do some of the things that we do, especially here on Sunday, right? We're going to talk about why and how church matters. And today, like I said at the beginning, I largely want to do that from the book of Hebrews, so if you're still there, or if you closed your Bible absent-mindedly, open it back up uh, to Hebrews 10. We're going to start in verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So the book of Hebrews, uh, if you are newer to the Bible, it's a really interesting book. And it's interesting in part because there's some mystery surrounding it. Uh, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, We don't know a lot of the specifics about the type of situation that they were writing it in, Uh, but there is one thing that we know for certain, at least one thing that we know for certain. A recurring theme in the book of Hebrews is encouraging followers of Jesus to persevere in their faith. That is a recurring theme throughout the book. In other words, to stick with following Jesus. So the author of Hebrews seems particularly concerned with the audience not just making a one-time decision to follow Jesus, not just saying, oh yeah, I'm I'm cool with Jesus once and then good luck for the rest of your life. But they are concerned with people holding to that decision to the very end. In fact, some version of that idea of perseverance comes up in almost every single chapter of the book of Hebrews and it's no different in chapter 10. So the author starts off by calling followers of Jesus to hold unswervingly, is what we just read. Hold unswervingly to the hope they profess. So the hope in this context is the understanding that people have that Jesus has done everything that needed to be done to give people access to God. Jesus had done everything. That is the hope they had by going to the cross, by going to the grave, raising from the dead, Jesus has established a relationship with anyone and everyone who trusts in that reality. And He has done all the work on their behalf. And the author of Hebrews wants followers of Jesus to not just know that, but to hold on to it, hold fast to that, to cling to it, to lean on it, in the good times and the bad, right? That is at the very core of what it means to follow Jesus. And then next in this chapter, we read about one specific way that we are to do that. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. So we're going to start, pick it up in verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on, toward love and good deeds, not, notice this part specifically, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So apparently, an indispensable part of persevering in following Jesus is what the book of Hebrews says, or calls, spurring one another on, spurring one one another on. So in other words, having relationships with other followers of Jesus where we are encouraged and we actively encourage others to continue following Jesus well. That is what spurring one another on is. And that means that we should not give up meeting together, it says, as some are in the habit of doing. So apparently uh, some people in the ancient world had also cooled a little bit on the idea of getting together with other followers of Jesus regularly. Right? They didn't see the value in it. And therefore, some of these people were not making a regular effort to do it, to participate in that. But the author of Hebrews makes it really clear right here, it is a bad idea to think about it that way. He says, if you want to persevere in following Jesus, evidently you're going to need the church. And so let's break down why that is exactly, right? Why we need the church, I think, comes down to at least three things that we need to define. We need to have a really good understanding of what these three things are. So I think we need to know what the church is, what it does, and whose it is, right? What the church is, what it does, and whose it is. So, church, uh, to use the words of Hebrews 10, uh, is the practice of meeting together with other followers of Jesus. That's what church is, right? So, so it's here that we have to make an important clarification. If you have been around church for very long, uh, especially here at City Church, you have probably heard someone say that this, what we're doing right now, is not the church, right? A church is not a service, uh, it's not an event. It's not a building. All of those things. We are the church. You and I, followers of Jesus. And, and sometimes, uh, sometimes you even hear people put it like this. They'll say, church isn't a place, it's a people. Right? And all of that is really important to realize. Yes, we are the church. But sometimes in saying that, I feel like we do miss one key detail. Biblically, we are the church when we are gathered together. Right? We are the church when we are gathered together. It's far more accurate to say the church is a people gathered in, in a place. Right? Here's why I say that. The, the word for church, the word that is translated church most often in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. And it literally means an assembly or a gathering. As in a gathering of multiple people in one place. Which, side note, is why we call what we do here on Sunday mornings the gathering. We don't call it that because we want to sound (laughs) culty. Although it kind of does sometimes. Uh, We call it that because we just want to use biblical language for what it's talking about. We are participating in the gathering of believers. That's what we're doing here on Sundays. So the church is the church when it's gathered together. And there's a lot of freedom in the format that our gathering together takes. The church is the church when we're gathered in a bigger setting on Sundays just like this. But the church is also the church when we gather together in smaller settings like life group. But the word church refers to the practice of gathering together. Which means that really the idea of online church is a bit of an oxymoron if we really think about it. I'm not mad at the idea, right? Like I said, we put our services online. Plenty of other churches do too. That is not a bad thing to do necessarily. It's just not church. It's not what the word means. Right? Saying, saying church online is, is kind of the equivalent to saying eating online. Right? You, you can find places to eat online. You can order your food online. You can order your food to eat in person, right? You can look at pictures and videos of other people eating online, which is kind of weird, but that's fine, Uh, it's a thing. Um, You can do all of that online, right? But you cannot eat online. It's just not what the word means, at least not yet. I mean, the future is now, right? No, you can't do that online. And it's the same way with church, right? You can find a church online. You can find a lot of churches online. You can interact with church things online. You can watch other people gather as the church online. But church cannot happen online, right? It's just not what the word means. Church, by its very definition, is physically gathering together with other followers of Jesus. It is something designed to be embodied, And when it's not embodied, I think something really dangerous can happen, right? As a result, we we make something to be individual that was meant to be communal, right? We take something uh, that was meant to be reciprocal in us giving to one another and we make it consumeristic, right? Church is not something that you watch, right? It's something you do. It's something you participate in. In Hebrews 10, it says that we need to be physically present together so that we can encourage one another and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, can you do those things without being together? Sure, to an extent, right? Uh, I think you can and you should text encouragement to people that you know, right? Praise God for technology, you can and you should spur one another on to doing good things, even if you are not physically present with them. But at the same time, there are limits to those things. Limits to the, to, to the, to the way you can interact with people when you are not in person. There is just something about being physically present with people that is so different and so much better than connecting electronically. Right? I think we inherently know this. Right? After the past two and a half years, I don't think anybody is just itching to add one more Zoom meeting to their schedule. Right? Other than you don't have to physically go to the meeting. Like, that's nice. But no one is like, you know what? I really prefer Zoom. Or maybe you do. And I would love to hear more about why that is. Um, or maybe the next time that a friend asks you to go out to eat, you're like, oh, what if, how about we just both go get takeout? And then we go to our respective places, and I'll FaceTime you. Huh? They're going to be like, you're a lunatic. Um, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. No, but that just doesn't make sense, right? No one actually prefers that. So technology can be a great stand-in for those times when we, when we are unable to be physically present with each other. But it was never designed to become a replacement for it, and it can't be a replacement. And and there's something here I want to help us see in regards to church specifically. At some point, the act of participating in it, in in what we are doing, it teaches us something about its importance. Right? So, So when it comes to here on Sunday mornings, if you are regularly prioritizing an hour and a half block of time, committing to be here far more often than not, just doing that, is communicating something to you internally about its importance. You are helping yourself realize that times like these are important throughout your life, even outside of Sundays. But it also works the other way, right? If you can't be bothered to make Sunday mornings a priority, that is also training you to believe something about it. right? If it's too much work or too inconvenient or or two, whatever the thing that you want to insert there is, to block out an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, I've got to question whether or not you're going to have what it takes to follow Jesus alongside other people who are following Jesus because that requires so much more effort and sacrifice than just giving up an hour and a half on a weekend. Right. So if that's too much, I don't know what to tell you about following Jesus as a whole right, especially if those couple hours only happen if it feel like it's not getting in the way of something else you'd prefer to do, right, the practice of doing this or not doing it teaches us something about its importance, it does, so church matters because of, of what it is, right, being physically present in one place with other followers of Jesus, Right, there's something that happens in this setting that just cannot happen any other way. Right, there's something about looking around this room and seeing people you know who are just going through it. Right, you know what is happening in their life and they are still lifting their hands in worship to Jesus. That just lifts your spirit in a way that, that a worship music video on YouTube just can't. Right? There is something about sitting next to a person who is doing the difficult work of becoming more like Jesus that just sitting on your couch listening to a sermon on discipleship cannot do. Right? There, is, there is something about looking across the room and seeing someone who is crying out to the Lord through their tears and being able to go and pray over them that putting in your AirPods while you're folding laundry just can't do. There is tremendous value in gathering with other people as the church. That is one reason, one reason that it matters. But it also matters because of what it does. What it does. So remember back with me to the intent of the book of Hebrews that we said earlier. The author is writing to help early Christians persevere in following Jesus. Or to put it differently, uh, to help them not give up. To help those who started their lives following Jesus, who started following Jesus at some point in their life, and finished their lives still following him. The the author evidently doesn't think that that's a given. He doesn't say that that's necessarily a guarantee. He believes that it takes intentionality and effort to get there. Here's the way that he puts it back in chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews. We'll put it on the screen so you don't have to turn there. But in in chapter 3, they say, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness." So according to the author of Hebrews, it is entirely possible for a person to identify as a follower of Jesus and then at some point still turn away completely from following Jesus. That's kind of a scary idea if you think about it. You can think of yourself as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus right now, and still not be at the end of your life. But he doesn't just leave it there right, with that dire warning. He says, hey, the the way to avoid that happening, to avoid hardening your heart, is to encourage one another daily by regularly surrounding yourself with other followers of Jesus who can remind you of what is true and what is not, such that you are able to persevere Right, to put it another way, the local church is a substantial and necessary line of defense against sin taking hold of your heart and leading you away from Jesus. Right? And Hebrews says that when you neglect that line of defense, it pretty much never goes well for you. Right? I've got to tell you, in, in the years that I have helped lead, in a church and, and talking to other pastors that I know, this is held true in almost every situation, right? Just about 100% of the time, people who stick with the local church in some form or fashion persevere in following Jesus. And people who bail on the church eventually end up on bailing on Jesus altogether. I say almost every situation because it is possible to be around a church your whole life and still not be known by the people around you. But that comes down to more of a personal choice to keep people at arm's length. But if you think about this critically, it makes sense. Right? It makes sense. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus identifies so closely with his people. Right? In 1 John, it tells us that if a person can't bear to love and be around other followers of Jesus... There's actually no way that person could love God, right? After his resurrection, Jesus asks if Peter loves him. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, okay, then feed my sheep. Care for my people. In Acts, when Saul is persecuting the church and killing Christians, Jesus shows up to him and asks, why are you persecuting me? Do you see how Jesus talks about his church? Or do you see how closely and intimately he identifies with it? It's a package deal. Right? You don't just get one. So we can try to construct a a, a cement wall between the two if we want. We can try. But it won't work. And if we bail on one, it's only a matter of time before we bail on both. Right. Being a part of a church solidifies and, and calcifies our faith. It makes it last. So if we want to stick with Jesus, we're going to need to figure out a way to put up with his people. Right? Because despite all of the church's imperfections, it is one of the best lines of defense for not going cold to the love and presence of of Jesus in our lives it may be very imperfect but it is his right which leads us to the final reason that I think church matters and it's because of whose it is right whose it is at the end of the day church matters because of who the church belongs to Titus chapter 2 tells us that Jesus gave himself to purify for himself a people that are his very own. So the church, with all of its failures, all of its flaws, belongs to Jesus. He made certain of it by going to the cross and giving up his life for it. So listen, I have got no problem calling out failures and flaws in the church. No reason to sweep those under the rug, right? Jesus Jesus was fine calling stuff out. And if you've been around for long, you know we as a church have no problem with doing that. We are not here to pretend that the church is this rosy, perfect utopia of a place. We're not. The church has failed plenty of times in plenty of ways. This church has failed Plenty of times in plenty of ways. In fact, that's kind of the whole reason Jesus had to come and die. Right? To do something about that sin and failure. And according to Hebrews, he did that so that those sins and those failures do not become a permanent barrier to our relationship with him. So we shouldn't feel the need to conceal any of those failures. We shouldn't. We can call them for what they are, but but listen. We we do that. We call out those things as insiders, not outsiders. Right? Standing off on your own at a distance and critiquing something takes very little maturity to do. Right? In fact, some of the most immature people I know are the best at critiquing stuff. Now, what takes maturity? is being a part of something imperfect and doing the hard, necessary work of helping it move towards what it needs to be. Is the church full of hypocrites? Are there hypocrites in the church? Yeah, absolutely. And in a way, that's good because that means that there's room for you and me. Right, so let's hop in, let's repent of our own hypocrisy along the way, and it will be a little better as a result. Right, Jesus has all kinds of understanding and patience for those who struggle to be a part of the church, but he's got no place for people who arrogantly disregard the church, right? whether that's functionally or, or ideologically, people who say, you know... I know Jesus died for it, but I don't need it. I'm good. Right? Jesus went all in on the church. All in. And he did that knowing full well well that it would fail him. He knew that. He knew that the church would hurt him and grieve him and misrepresent him at times. So what does that say about us if we're quick to bail on the church? Right? If we're eager to reject the thing that Jesus gave everything for. In the Bible, the word for that is arrogance. And, and I'll tell you, the longer you choose to stand at a distance and critique other people, the more arrogant you'll become as a result. It just happens that way. So what I would advise instead is being willing to get your hands dirty. Entering into a community with humility and understanding such that you can eventually and actually help it become what Jesus made it to be over time. And and here's what I think you'll find if, if you do that. I think you'll find that the Holy Spirit will actually use that to make you who he made you to be. He will. The mystery of God's design for us is that we actually can't become who he made us to be without participation in the church. So I want to read you a quote uh, about all of this by a pastor in Iowa named Lillian Daniel. So she wrote a piece for the Huffington Post about the problems with the whole spiritual but not religious mindset. And I want you to know, um, we took out some of the snarkiest parts of this quote. Uh, that's important to me for you to know because it's still pretty snarky, uh, even by my standards, right? And I can, I can be pretty snarky at times. Uh, but just remember, I took out the snarkiest parts. You're welcome in advance. <clears throat> So Lillian Daniel said, here we come to the crux of the problem that the spiritual but not religious people have with the church. If we could just kick out all the human beings, we might be able to meet their high standards. If we could just kick out all the sinners, we might have a shot at following Jesus. Being privately spiritual but not religious just doesn't interest me. There is nothing challenging about having deep thoughts all by oneself, What is interesting is doing this work in community where other people might call you on stuff or, heaven forbid, disagree with you. Where life with God gets rich and provocative is when you dig deeply into a tradition that you did not invent all for yourself. Again, that's the last snarky part. (laughs) If you want the whole thing, talk, talk to me later. I can point you in that direction. But do you see what she's saying? There are parts of who God made us to be that we just cannot become all by ourselves. We need people who irritate us to help us grow in patience, we need people who challenge us to help us grow in humility. We need people who correct us to help us grow in our understanding. We need people who disagree with us to help us grow in having a charitable spirit. We need difficult people who can help us grow in getting over ourselves. And for all of that to happen with any success, we don't just need those people to occupy a chat feature online or a text that we can leave unread until we feel like answering it. Right? We need to see them. We need to, we need to have to see them. Week in. Week out. In other words, we need to be physically present with them on a regular basis. Uh, so I'll say this. Feel free to bail on the church if you are so inclined. But just know that in doing that, you are bailing on one of the most important mechanisms that God has put in place for your growth and maturity. So if you do, if you do bail on it, don't be surprised when you feel stuck or dry or confused at your lack of progress in following Jesus. It could be that you've actually locked yourself out of of that happening entirely. Right, because you have locked yourself out of the church, of his church. And at the end of the day, this is his church. right? He made it in many ways for you. And it is amazing what it can do in your life. It's amazing what he can do in your life through the church. Right, the church belongs to Jesus for his purposes. That is why it matters. So let me just land here. Uh, as we end today, my only real hesitancy, I'd say, about giving this teaching uh, is the possibility that, that someone may have walked in here really wanting to plug into the church and feel attacked or discouraged by something that I've said this morning. So let me be clear. Uh, if you long to be a part of the church, if you long to have meaningful relationships with other followers of Jesus, and you just, you just struggle with that. Because of fears or, or past experiences or both, I want you to know this is a safe place for you to be. It is. If you stick around, you will actually find out that quite a few of us have stories just like that. Right? Just recently, one of our pastors uh, grabbed coffee with a guy who, uh, when he came around our church, was just about done altogether. With the church Came in like, this is going to probably be the, the last straw. I'm out after this, for sure. Right? He, he had been on staff at a church before. He had had some really rough experiences there, and he just didn't see much use in continuing to be a part of any of it. But the reason that he was meeting with one of our pastors was to tell him that after he had been around uh, for a couple of years here, He had changed his mind about all of that. He had, in some ways, had his faith restored in the institution of the church. And because of that, he was actually taking a job on staff at another church to help further the kingdom. And and I tell you that story, and, and I don't say that to say we are awesome. I don't. I can assure you, most days, we fall quite short of awesome, right? And and I don't tell you that to say that we will not ever let you down. That is not a promise that I can make. It is not. I tell you that just as a simple example of how other people have found this to be a safe, productive, helpful place to be. When they were in a season of doubt and hesitancy toward the church. Right? We we receive our deepest hurts in life in relationships. We do. But we also receive our greatest healing in relationships. Our conviction is that the church is not a museum of saints. It's a hospital for sinners. Right? We are not a museum of saints. So if you're willing to admit that, that you are flawed and if you're okay with us admitting that we are flawed too, I, I think that we have a really good foundation to build on. Right? So that is what we want to, to commit to together. So let's pray uh, to that end.